How do theologians and scholars view the covenants of Scripture? There are four different views that we're going to discuss on this edition of the Bellator Christie podcast. We're going to talk about the traditional covenant theological system, the new covenant theological system, traditional dispensationalism, and progressive dispensationalism. Also, what does one make of the sex abuse scandals that you hear about on the news? Join us for a special fireside chat on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, coming to you to, from a uh, mobile environment, if the uh, quality of the recording is uh, a little bit uh, different than what you're accustomed to hearing, uh, I do apologize for that. But I'm actually, uh, we're going to call this a fireside chat here. Uh, today I was uh, actually uh, working on a final project for uh, the PhD class I'm taking and and uh, spent most of the day doing that and so I was a little behind getting the podcast uh, recorded today so uh, we're outdoors I'm outdoors today I've enjoyed a great time with my family uh, they're back inside uh, getting ready for bed so I'm out here uh, just you and me and uh, the crazy cat over the side if you may hear you may hear him occasionally and uh, you may hear the fire going on because we're I'm out here at the fire pit so uh, it is a joy and privilege to be with you today Again, hope you're doing well wherever you may be. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about uh, four views, and uh, you're going to hear more about these views in some upcoming uh, podcasts, perhaps even some articles uh, coming forth on uh, on BellatorChristie.com. By the way, I want to remind you, uh, go check out BellatorChristie.com. Hope you'll subscribe. Uh, take the podcast with you on the go. Uh, if you enjoy what you hear, uh, we're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, but going back to the topic, we're going to talk about today a uh, very brief introduction uh, to four views uh, as one interprets scripture and even uh, this in, involves how you really see the covenants uh, of, throughout scripture and how especially uh, you see the Old Testament correlating with the New Testament. Uh, and these four views are um, covenantalism or covenant theology. Uh, you also have new covenant theology. 
You also have uh, dispensationalism, traditional dispensationalism, and then uh, another variation to dispensationalism called progressive dispensationalism. So on today's podcast, we're going to just give you some very brief definitions on what these are, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll probably have a, a fairly brief podcast uh, for today's show. I want to get you started uh, before we take a quick commercial break and get into that, uh, get into that topic. I want to talk to you a little bit about a problem I see in our modern culture. Uh, in fact, we have a lot of things going on, a lot of things taking place um, as it, as it pertains to um, just 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 some scary stuff going on in the world. Uh, of course, you obviously you've probably heard the news about North Korea uh, earlier this week testing out a uh, missile that is now capable of reaching any place on Earth, a ballistic missile. Um, capable of doing that. Uh, many people have been, I think, taking t- uh, North Korea for granted, thinking that uh, they didn't have the power or the potential to get a missile as developed as they have. And, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but this is some scary stuff. Uh, obviously, if they get nuclear capabilities, uh, the entire world will be on alert um, about what's what's going on. So um, some people, some uh, futurists have uh, pr- predicted that this could possibly lead to World War III. I hope and pray not. Uh, but this is something that you definitely want to keep an eye on. Um, Interestingly enough, the news hasn't covered it's covered it some, but it hasn't covered it to, to any great depth. You probably hear more about this on talk radio uh, than you do on the uh, major media outlets. But uh, this is something to be praying for, uh, praying about, and uh, to keep in mind because um, obviously this is some scary stuff going on. But we know that God's in control, that He has in control over all of these things, and so uh, we're just going to trust in Him and pray that. Uh, uh, for wise leadership uh, on several different fronts, and uh, you, you hear things, you see things, you you have to kind of wonder sometimes if there's a lot of wisdom out there anymore. But uh, we we're just going to pray for insight and wisdom uh, for our national leaders. But uh, anyhow, getting back on on topic, um, also another issue taking place today. I want want to say a few words about this before we go into the commercial break and then come back with the main issue at hand. Um, there's an issue going on with um, a lot of sexual harassment taking place, in, uh, especially in Hollywood and in the entertainment uh, arena. And uh, I think there have been probably a lot more of this, uh, these issues taking place than we want to think that there are. You know, and, and having worked public work, uh, listen, you know, working in industries, working in places, I'm not going to say anything, in, in, you know, specifically, but I have, you know, I have seen guys, I've seen women for that fact. I mean, it's not just one gender. I've seen, uh, you know, individuals uh, objectifying other individuals of the opposite sex and things of that nature. And, and this is something we, we as Christians should take care in this. You know, I, I, I see both sides, and I understand on both sides of perspective on the of the persuade of the perspective on this. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But I think we have to really be cautious in what we say and how we say uh, online, in public, in person, uh, because this is a serious thing. Um, let's just look at a list of individuals who have been accused of sexual harassment and assault. 
uh, one of the biggest names that you've heard about. This is this really started the ball rolling. Uh, was was uh, Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein in October 2017. Uh, multiple uh, men in entertainment, media, and politics uh, have been accused of uh, in, you know of uh, sexual misconduct, to even rape charges. Um, some involved in this have been uh, celebrity chef John Besh, accused of 20, uh, by 25 women of sexual harassment. Uh, singer Nick Carter, uh, pop singer uh, Melissa Schumann, uh, accused him of raping her some 15 years ago. Uh, comedian Louis C.K. was accused by five women of sexual misconduct. Um, Senate family executives... And by the way, this is coming from the Morning Call dot um, com. Senate family executives Hadrian uh, Belove and Shady El Nashai, I guess is how you say that, was accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, actor Richard Dreyfus was alleged of ha- sexual harassment. I hadn't heard of that before just now. Film producer Adam Fields, director producer Gary Goddard. Um, uh, accused by one man of sexually molesting him when he was 12. Casting employee Andy Henry. Actor Dustin Hoffman was accused by a woman of sexual harassing her when she was 17. Uh, and he apologized for his behavior. Actor Robert Nepper uh, was accused by one woman of sexual assault. Showrunner Andrew Kreisberg. Pixar Disney Animation Chief John Lasseter was accused by sev- several women. Actor uh, Jeremy Piven was accused by three women of sexual misconduct. Filmmaker Britt uh, Ratner was accused by at least six women of sexual harassment. Comedy festival organizer Gilbert Rozon was accused by at least nine women of sexually harassing them or even assaulting them. Produ- producer Chris Savino Uh, Actor Steven Seagal was accused by two women. Uh, Def Jam recording artist uh, or mogul Russell Simmons uh, was accused by model Carrie Clawson Kalihi of uh, coercing her to perform a sex act. Uh, Actor Tom Sizemore, actor Kevin Spacey was accused by at least 24 men of sexual misconduct or assault. Actor Jeffrey Tamor was accused by two women. Uh, actor Jeff, uh, excuse me, George Takai was alleged by, of uh, sexual harassment by a man. Uh, writer-director James Toback was accused by hundreds of women of sexual harassment. Mad Men creator Matthew Weiner was accused by a woman. Uh, of course, H- Harvey Weinstein we've noted, we've mentioned already. Actor Ed Westwick was accused by two women of sexual assault. This even goes into media and publishing. Stephen Blackwell, uh, Penguin Random House art director uh, Gasupi Castellano, New Republic publisher Hamilton Fish, journalist Mark uh, Halperin, uh, art forum publisher Knight Landsman, NPR News Chief Michael uh, Oreskes, uh, I guess is how you say his name, Amazon executive Roy Price, PBS and CBS host Charlie Rose, New York Times White House reporter Glenn Thrush, Webster Public Relations CEO Kurt Webster, Rolling Stone publisher Jan Wiener, uh, Wiener, Wiener, I guess how you say that, uh, New Republic editor Leon Wasselter, <laughs> never heard of some of these names before, uh, New York newsbooker Matt Zimmerman, uh, and uh, Garrison Kyler, former host of uh, Prairie Home Companion, and even uh, most recently NBC Today show host. Anchor Matt Lar. Now, I know 
that that on the one hand, uh, many people hear this and and they're skeptical, and they say, you know, why report this years after the fact? But I think we have to be cautious in this. I know it's easy to be cynical. I know, and 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 I, and I understand. On the one hand, we need to be cautious about this because when it comes to these type charges, most times it's supposed to be that you're innocent until proven guilty. But when this happens, you're really guilty until proven innocent. And I get that. I understand that. And we have to be careful in accepting this. We we need to let. Uh, the, the 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 justice system work through this to see whether or not a person was really truly guilty of this. I understand that, but on the other hand, I think we as Christians need to be careful because there are individuals out there. Excuse me again. This is outdoors. You're going to hear some noises as <laughs> I'm out here. Um, but you but there are individuals who may be may have been assaulted, and the last thing, the worst thing we can do is to turn a blind eye to that and say, hey, that didn't matter. Of course it does matter. Um, and this is something we need to take seriously as Christians, as believers. I understand that there are some false accusations out there. I understand there's some individuals trying to make a quick buck, trying to make a name for themselves. But but we need to take any charge like, uh, like this seriously. And for, as a pastor, an apologist, a theologian, I would say to my fellow preachers and teachers out there guard yourself if you're a pastor if you're in if you're in ministry don't go visit a person of the opposite sex by yourself if there's an individual you know and you're ministering and um I, you know, in, in the culture in which we are, you know, which we live, you need to use discretion. You need to guard yourself. You need to protect yourself. You need to, you don't even want to give the indication, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you could be falsely charged. You also don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted. Okay, it's not only just about charges, but it's about the temptation. You don't want to put yourself in situations where you're going to be tempted above and beyond what you're able. Now, I hear people say, judge not lest you be judged. Be careful saying anything because it may come back on you. Listen, I understand that God is the ultimate judge, but at the same time, we have to call sin, sin. Okay, that judge not that you be not judged does not mean that we don't stand against sin. That just simply means, you know, the long and short of it is that we stand for truth, we stand for righteousness, but in the end, we show mercy, we show grace, we forgive when someone uh, has fallen into a sin, and then uh, ultimately help lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what that means. But as we are in ministry, as we are in these professions, we have to protect ourselves from from any even the possible accusation that could be out there, so just be careful as you minister. I mean, don't don't live. I don't think you need to live a life of fear, and uh, but you do need to be, as Scripture tells us, as Jesus says, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. You do need to make sure you protect you protect your testimony. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back here on the podcast. You are listening to Bellator Christie Podcast. Hey, this is Stephen Kendrick. 
And I'm Alex Hendrick. We want to talk to you about a new book that has just come out of bookstores by our pastor, Michael Catt. Michael's had a huge impact on our lives. He called us to Albany. He preaches powerful messages. He just finished a series on Philippians. I love the book of Philippians. talks about the, the humbling of Christ, uh, this same mindset being, uh, being in us, and then also the promises that we have in Philippians 4, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and he's going to supply all of our needs. So as we explored Philippians with our pastor and congregation, our pastor put these principles and truths in this book, The Power of Purpose, by one of our favorite publishers ever, B&H Publishing. So you can get this book today. We encourage you to check it out. Thank you. Welcome back to the Biblical World Christie Podcast. We thank you for joining us uh, today on this special edition, this uh, outdoors fireside chat. Uh, you're probably going to hear a dog in the background. Hopefully you hear the, the flames are burning here in the fire pit. And so just a wonderful, beautiful evening here in the Carolinas. And uh, again, hope you're doing well wherever you may be. I uh, want to let you know about uh, coming up here pretty soon, uh, we're, we're going to hope to have uh, perhaps some podcasts uh, discussing some issues dealing with uh, the incarnation of Christ, uh, maybe looking at some things pertaining to Christmas. Uh, hopefully this year we're going to have another uh, either top five or top ten list concerning the uh, issues facing the church coming up in uh, 2018. Uh, had, didn't do that this past year, but looking to maybe hopefully uh, getting that done uh, for the upcoming year ahead. Been a very busy, been a very busy year. Uh, hope to maybe even have a, uh, some reflection, a reflection show on some of the things. Uh, uh, Top theological things has happened uh, this this year, or top ends, you know, top reflections that you know I may have. I don't know. We're just going to let the spirit lead, and so we'll just go with that. And uh, uh, again, we just thank you for joining us uh, on this journey that we have as we explore the issues of theology, apologetics, and Christian life. Uh, even the news from a Christian perspective. Today, we want to talk uh, just for a few moments about uh, four views and. Uh, pertaining to how a person views the covenants of Scripture. Uh, and a lot of this has to do, too, with how the New Testament correlates with the New Testament. And some of this even deals with how you view Scripture. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative talk uh, when, we, when a person talks about dispensationalism. And quite honestly, I think a lot of times people think of the Left Behind series when they think of dispensationalism, and they think that's what it's about. Well, actually, it's a lot deeper than that. And um, what I want to look at today, and, and there's a lot of fine-tuning things that we could discuss when we talk about these four views, but what I simply want to do is just to lay out for you these four views just, just simply put, I want to give you uh, s some insights about where I am uh, thus far on this theological journey uh, as, as I'm looking at these four different views and, and let you make your own perspective. And hopefully later on I'm going to write an article about this so that you'll have a hard copy of this so that you can explore these uh, four different viewpoints. And to be honest with you, some of these, some of the d differences between especially the first couple, I'm not... Um, 
I, I, I'm not a fully up on it. So uh, if if I say something that's maybe a little erroneous, hopefully I won't. I, I'm going to try to. That's why I'm just going to stick with the, the 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 bare details of these two views uh, because one of them, especially, I'm not that familiar uh, with. So. Anyhow, let's just jump into this and see where it goes. There are four different views we're going to talk about, especially as it relates to how a person views the Old Testament along with the New Testament. And these four views are covenantalism or covenant theology, new covenant theology, dispensationalism, and a, an update to that called Progressive Dispensationalism. I'm going to be taking a class coming up uh, this next semester in the Ph.D. program that's going to look at the theology of the prophets, and, um, and this is really going to be an issue as you look at the theology of the prophets as to how you view some of those prophecies uh, that have not yet been fulfilled. Uh, how do you view some of those things? And so what a lot of this comes down to are these prophecies that God gave Israel uh, pertaining to, you look at the Ezekiel temple, a third temple to be built. Well, obviously there hasn't been a third temple. How do you, how do you view that? Um, how do you view the, the, the millennial kingdom to, 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 that's to come to pass? Do you see that literal or you see that allegorically? Um, so a lot of this has to do with interpretation. Some of it's end-time events, you know, as with the Left Behind series. Some of it has to do with end-time things. Some of it has to do the way you view the covenants of God and the interchange uh, between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some of it even it deals with how a person views Israel and the church and the distinctions that are found between those two. So let's first of all take at uh, take a look at covenantalism. Um, covenantalism is is a viewpoint that is often, not always, but many times accepted by more reformed uh, advocates, individuals who are of the reformed movement. And uh, covenantalism basically says, or covenant theology. Uh, basically says that, um, okay, let me pull this up here. Uh, bear with me for a moment. I'm on the tablet. So um, it's also known as federal theology or federalism. It is a, um, it views the three covenants, as they call it, of God. Uh, this is a standard form of covenant theology. And it views a covenant of from creation to fall, from fall to redemption, to redemption to consummation, under the framework of these three overarching theological covenants, redemption, works, and grace. Okay, redemption, works, and grace. Um, Methodist hermeneutics, a lot of times, traditionally, and, and this, some of this is coming from Wikipedia, some of this is coming from other sources here, they use a variation of this known as Wesleyan Covenant Theology, uh, which is consistent with Arminian uh, soteriology. And what this basically says is that uh, you have these covenants of God, that they come to pass, and uh, the, the God issues one covenant, and then the one covenant is over, it enters into another covenant, that covenant happens, and that covenant is over, and then you enter into a third covenant, then you have that covenant, at which point in time that covenant will be over. So, 
in a lot of these views, the church has replaced Israel. So in covenant theology, a lot of times what they'll view, what they'll say, is that uh, the promises made to Israel are, will be fulfilled in the church. In some versions of covenant theology, um, some views will even go so far to say that the promise was given to Israel. They failed. They dropped the ball. They fumbled it. So it was given, and that was why Jesus had to come because Israel didn't fulfill their covenant. So God had to make a new covenant. Now the problem with that, the problem I have with that, is that it is that it it doesn't make it doesn't show necessarily God as being a God to, that wants to save the world. Uh, it, it's it's a very exclusive thing. But of course, if you take a more reformed view, then that's not a problem for 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 a person. But um, but nonetheless, you know, it it doesn't make God into. I mean, and this isn't necessarily true of of Wesleyan. Uh, of covenantalism, but it it does seem to it does seem to say that Israel doesn't have a place in God's plan in God's future plan. Okay, and that's the problem I have with covenantal theologies. Anyhow, uh, that, that Israel's left out. The whole issue talking about uh, Israel's future is that, uh, that that God basically just forgot. He just all the prophecies that were unfulfilled, you have to go back and you have to look at them as being allegorical. Okay, so you use a New Testament lens to interpret the Old Testament. Okay, well, obviously, that can become kind of problematic because whenever you're interpreting, and don't get me wrong, I do think that, that the New Testament gives us the lens upon which we can properly view the Old Testament. I'm not saying that, but... Part of the problem is that there are some prophecies uh, that are given that tend to be literal, spoken of in a literal fashion. And so a lot of these, a lot of times these prophecies are painted over with a broad brush in the covenantal system. Well, there's also a different version of this called the New Covenant View. And uh, let me get back to this here. Um, and this is the position I'm not very familiar. Uh, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not very familiar with the New Covenant theological system. But uh, that's why I'm having to rely on some other works here. Uh, the New Covenant theology, or NCT, uh, this position is that the person and work of Jesus Christ is a central focus of the Bible. Now, this is, I think, a little more acceptable than than the traditional covenant theological system. This shows that the overarching purpose of God working through throughout all time is to been saved to is has to be to save souls. That God is a saving God. And that's been his purpose since the fall, to save individuals. Okay. One distinctive result is that the Old Testament laws have been abrogated or cancelled with Jesus' crucifixion and replaced with the law of Christ and the new covenant. This is sometimes called replacement theology. Okay, It's distinct from dispensationalism. It's also distinct from traditional covenant theology. Uh, it, this, this again, where, and this may be a little more literal than, it's, it's kind of a go-between between dispensationalism and traditional covenantalism or federalism. Um, where the Federalist or Covenant theologian will view things a lot of times in a strict and allegorical 
fashion. Um, the the New Covenant theologian is a little more in, in uh, literal with their interpretation. Uh, this means that the New Testament interprets an Old Testament promise differently than the plain reading. So you're still reading into the Old Testament text something from the New Testament. Okay. Here again, I, I still have a little bit of a problem with that. Because I don't think that... You, and don't get me wrong. I believe that the New Testament allows us to fully understand the, the full teaching of God in the, the Old Testament. It's like I've always heard, the Old Testament is the New Testament uh, concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And I, and I believe that there's this distinction between that. But you can see where some of this leads. Um, it, it's almost as if that you're forcing an interpretation upon the, um, the Old Testament, which would be which would be easy, a person could be guilty of committing a hermeneutical fallacy called eisegesis. There are two, there are two versions of interpretation, exegesis and eisegesis. Eisegesis is reading something into the text. Exegesis is, is, is reading out of the text. That's what it literally means, out of the text. And that's, you want to be an exegetical reader you want to be an exegetical interpreter you want to allow the text to speak for itself okay and so even with this new adaptation i think it's a little more acceptable than say traditional covenantalism but um you know that there's a little bit uh, of a problem i see here with this as well uh, there, there's an example given of amos 9 11 and 12 quoted in james uh, by james in acts 15 in its um, um, let's see um, well certain things through you know for, for for Amos to be quoted in Acts 15 there this is a new precedent and so they would say that uh, um, that the that for it to be interpreted as anything other than a promise to the nation of Israel shows that that this is acceptable the New Covenant theologian would say that God has given us his interpretation of that passage through James, through this. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a spiritual truth. I mean, in the, New, in the ancients used to do this. The New Testament church used to do this. They would take the look at the literal reading, and then they would uh, draw from that eventually the spiritual rendering of that passage of Scripture. And I think that's acceptable. But what you don't want to say, what you don't want to do is to forget the literal rendering of that passage of Scripture there as well. Uh, I think what James did is completely appropriate. It's, it's completely okay. Uh, but the problem we need to do as well is, is as we're interpreting this to see what God's plan is, we also need to take a literal view of the Scripture as well. But that's what the New Covenant theologian would say, and um, that's how they would interpret that. So we move on to dispensationalism. And dispensationalism is a view that God uh, is, has progressively given dispensa several dispensations, and this is a word even used in the New Testament. Paul uses this word, dispensations. Um, these dispensations um, is, a dis is a distinctive arrangement or period in history that forms a framework through which God relates to human beings and a lot of times people will say that uh, that this started with John 
Darby. And, and people say, well, this is a new movement. You shouldn't follow this. This is a new movement. Well, the, this concept actually dates back, I would even say, back to even Papias, who was a disciple of John, who saw the millennial reign of Christ as being a, a, a literal dispensation, if you want to call it that. He saw it as a literal event in history. Now, Eusebius, he didn't take that viewpoint, and so he, uh, he basically disagreed with Papias on that. But Irenaeus in the second century also shows an arrangement uh, of divisions in biblical history. Uh, other Christian writers and leaders since then, um, Augustine of Hippo uh, ha has, has done this. Uh, many others have done this. And even uh, one writer says that even the Westminster Confession of Faith notes various dispensations back in 1646. So this isn't something that just started with John Nelson Darby. This is something Darby picked up on uh, and, and taught, and it became repopularized. It was popular again uh, because of him. Now, with tr traditional dispensationalism, um, this is an interpretive system that shows that God has divided, defined periods or ages to each of which God has allotted distinctive administrative principles, okay, and the traditional, uh, most dispensations will see that uh, that God relates to humanity in different ways. Now, with a covenant, the covenant theologian would say that God has given these different covenants, and uh, the covenant has begun, the covenant has stopped. Um, the dispensationalist says, well, God oper has operated throughout history in different means to humanity, but those promises previously made don't cease. Even though God is, is, is moving into a different phase in which he relates to humanity, the old promises that he's made haven't been canceled. Okay? Now, what does this mean for the Old Testament law? Well, what it simply means is there are certain things that have been updated. There, you know, and you have to understand when we talk about the law that there are basically three forms of the law. There is there are moral laws which I think carry on. I think the I think the Ten Commandments still hold uh, by and large. Uh, now the Sabbath day has been moved to Sunday. But I still think that we need to try to keep the Sabbath day. I mean, it's not that we have to keep the law because we're under the new covenant, the new, the new dispensation of grace through Jesus Christ, you see. But, um, but the promises that God made to Abraham, uh, while fulfilled in the church, obviously, uh, some of those literal things that he has given as far as promises go, for instance, even the, the promise to, given to uh, Noah that he would not destroy the earth again by water, the next time would be by fire. According to the covenant theologian, if those covenants start and, and stop, then perhaps that covenant has ceased uh, with humanity. Whereas the dispensationalists would say, well, that promise continues the promises made of old will continue, and God will fulfill his promises. It takes a more literal stance. Now, not hyper-literal. You know, the dispensationalists will say, you know, you, you do have to allow certain genres and things of that nature. But it does take a more literal view, interpretation of Scripture. Uh, generally speaking, there, there, are, there are seen seven typical dispensations. For instance, Innocence to Adam under the probation 
uh, prior to the fall. This is one dispensation. Uh, some will call this the, 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 the time of the flood, the Noahic dispensation, from the fall to the great flood. Uh, the, um, the, the time of government, uh, from uh, human government after the flood to the time of uh, the Tower of Babel if you want to call it that, the promise from Abraham to Moses, the law from Moses to the crucifixion of Christ. There's a dispensation of grace from the cross to the time that Christ returns for his church. And then there is um, a, a, uh, the, 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 the parousia, if you want to call it that, where Christ comes for his church. Then there's a uh, tribulational period, a millennial kingdom where Christ will return and establish a kingdom on the earth uh, for a thousand years before entering into that eternal phase. Now, I've I've been a little always kind of curious uh, because you know you see in Revelation the uh, God issuing this wrath upon the earth, and it doesn't seem to me, in my opinion, that that is intended for the church. I think God is still operating in and through Israel, and if and if and if you hold that, if you think that Israel still has a place in God's kingdom, if you still think that God has a place for Israel and is still going to be working through Israel uh, to do something great, to bring about a millennial kingdom in the end, then you're a dispensationalist. I would say that you you lean towards dispensationalism. If you don't think God has any use for Israel anymore, then, then you're probably uh, closer to being a covenant theologian. Now, some covenant theologians would disagree with the way I put that, but even still, uh, that's, the, that's the general distinction. Uh, now, progressive dispensationalists, uh, let, let me flip back over here. Uh, this is another take on dispensationalism. Uh, Charles Ryrie was a dispensationalist, and he began a new take on dispensationalism, uh, as did John Walvoord. Uh, so, so if you look back, Darby reintroduced dispensationalism, the classical dispensationalism. Uh, then you see Schofield and Schaefer, Lewis Berry Schaefer, the, I think, president, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, so Schaefer was an advocate of traditional or classical dispensationalism. Ryrie and Walvoord revised it, leading into what's called progressive dispensationalism, which is, uh, is uh, advocated by uh, Craig Blazing, Daryl Bach, and Robert Saucy. Um, progressive and traditional dispensationalists hold many, many common beliefs. Um, seeing God's operation in the world through several dispensations. The vast majority of adherents in both schools hold to a distinction between Israel and the church. That means that the promises that God made to Israel still stands. Okay? It still stands. That means that when in Zechariah it says that Christ is going to return on the Mount of Olives and, and set his foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two, that that's literally going to happen sometime in the future. That's literally going to take place. Um, there's, there's often the, the view of a pre-tribulation rapture, although that doesn't have to be the case with dispensationalism. Traditionally, it has been the case, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, but there is this belief of, of a pre-trib rapture, and 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 uh, I wavered from that a while, but I've actually come back to that because of of a viewpoint that I have concerning what the time of tribulation is. 
and I think it's not. I don't think the church is intended for that. I think it's part of the wrath of God upon the earth. Uh, but uh, so you see the seven-year tribulation, the world tribulation, and the millennial kingdom, which the rule of Jesus Christ will be centered in Jerusalem when He returns for that period of time. And there are some variations within progressive dispensationalism where this is concerned. But the major difference between traditional and progressive dispensationalism is in how the views. Uh, and how each views the relationship of the present dispensation to the past and future. Okay, uh, and there are other things we can mention here, and this is just again a simple overview. There's a lot more I'm going to be discussing about the distinctions between progressive and traditional dispensationalism uh, in in the days and and weeks ahead. I'll be talking more about this, but. Um, but the thing about progressive dispensationalism, well, the traditional dispensationalism, and here's the key distinction. There are many others that we could talk about, but this is the biggest thing. Um, traditional dispensationalism will say that God um, had a plan for Israel, and that plan is still good, but, but it's on hold. Okay, when Christ came and he died for our sins on the cross, he defeated the power of Satan, the power of hell, ushered in the kingdom of God on earth. That plan for Israel is paused. There's a parenthesis. It's paused until Christ returns for the church. And once Christ returns for the church, takes the church into his kingdom for a period of time before coming back down for the millennial reign, then at that point in time, the, the, the promises given to Israel will be fulfilled. Now, progressive dispensationalists will say that we're not really in a parenthesis, that God is still moving forward progressively, even now, to bring about those finished plans uh, that he has for Israel. Progressive dispensationalists would also say uh, that God's plan has always been throughout history one plan, and that's to save souls, to bring glory to himself, absolutely. It's all about his glory, but also to bring souls unto himself. Through the de several dis different dispensations, Christ was always intended to come to save the church, to save humanity, and that has always been the plan. And so God has progressively, through these dispensations, been working to save souls. I, I have to say that right now, as I'm studying these things, that I would lean towards progressive dispensationalism, but I'm not diehard on it. Uh, I do think that there are se several things attractive to it. I would say with certainty, with great certitude, that I find dispensationalism a lot more attractive than covenant theology. I think that um, while there's some attractive things to New Covenant theology, and I do believe that the church has become a spiritual Israel in the sense that we have been adopted into the family of God, I also think we have to be careful so as to not diminish the promises that God made to Israel I think those promises still stand, and I think that he's going to still do something powerful. I think when, that Christ is going to return uh, when he establishes a millennial reign, uh, and he's going to set his feet upon the, um, upon the earth. Now, as far as this rapture, I think it's part of a resurrection event that's going to take place. I think that... Uh, uh, I think that when he comes and resurrects the believers, uh, that'll be when that happens. There will be some people saved, I think, through that time of tribulation. Uh, but I think that time of tribulation is one last-ditch effort uh, 
to save souls. So we're in the age, we're in the dispensation of grace right now, friend. And so, what I would say to you is, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know Jesus, you need to come to know Him before it's eternally too late. Because, well, not only just that, but you need to come to know Him before the dispensation of judgment comes. Because when Christ comes for the church, which can happen at any moment, I think that makes the clearest sense when you take a look at the the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Christ says when he's going to come, there'll be two working in the field. One will be taken, one will be left behind. Um, the point is, we're in the dispensation of grace right now. And there's coming a time when the church is going to be taken. The church is going to be resurrected. The church is going to be taken from this earth. And at that point in time, it's going to be this world is going to be entering into a dispensation of judgment. And folks, with North Korea and all these different things taking place... If your heart's not right, if you, if you think it's going to be a long time before that dispensation comes, think again, friend. Think again. And many people will say, many people have issues against dispensationalism and pre-tribulational views because they say, well, hey, that's just say, we're going to be rescued. We don't have to do anything. No, Jesus says that as that day approaches, things are going to get tougher for the church. There's going to be persecution. There are going to be a lot of bad things going down for the church. We're seeing that. And we can expect that. It's going to be like the day of Moses. Excuse me, not the day of Moses. Like the day of Noah. Like in those days. And folks, it's, it's getting to that point now. So if you don't know Jesus, my appeal to you, my plea to you, is come to know him before it's eternally too late. Folks, this has been Brian Chilton. You've been listening to a special edition of the Bellator Christie podcast, A Fireside Chat. I'm out here in my prayer garden with a fire pit across right to my side and enjoying the beautiful, beautiful evening that God has granted to us. Again, we thank you for listening today. If you don't know Jesus, come to know him before it's eternally too late. God bless you, and we'll see you back next time as we step into the arena of ideas. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. We're looking for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University, online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855 466 9220